Okay, so we're gonna have to talk because you just said there's no such thing as free will. You, you kind of set the conditions for that statement. Well, I didn't. This guy who wrote this book, he said it. Well, so we're not, well, yeah, right. we're not owning the intention of our words. That's fair. <laughs> That's fine. It's gonna be a tough season. It's gonna be a tough yep. season. <laughs> All day long, buddy. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we are introing, or at least attempting to talk a little bit about what season three holds in store. We're looking back, or are we looking inside? We're gonna go inside a little bit because the extent to which we hope to contribute to meaningful change in the world is equal to our ambitions and courage of doing internal work inside of us. So past versions of ourselves. Even our ancestors, epigenetics, genetics, all of that. Figure that out, we could make a better future. Let's get into it then. So Jake and I are going to focus a little bit more on the inward journey each of us takes towards becoming inclusive and equitable. And that's because the extent to which impact in the world can happen is tied to the work that you've done in your internal world. You'll never see more or greater results out in this world than what's happening inside. Because if you never thought about it before, some good things will happen, obviously, but it's the intention with which they happen. So this inward journey, actually, this book that we're going to kick off with today is a very interesting way to think about the inward journey because it is not just a state of mind. I, I'm a big fan of transformative learning theory, and there's this perspective change that can happen based on the neuroscience of new synaptic pathways. And so we, we tie the adult learning theory to neuroscience to show that connection. But there's really some interesting things that happen when you even look at the complexity of the biology inside of you and the organisms mm -hmm. that live in a human being and your ancestors that triggered a certain epigenetic makeup that you now have and how the context of your environment reinforces certain behaviors and diminishes others, and then you pass that on. So it's not just um, how your brain is wired is how you see, that's very true, but there's this entire body component yeah. to the internal journey. Mm -hmm. I love it, that ecological model of that whole view of self. But I, I like that you are going to prompt us to think about it across a journey of time, because that is sort of the evolutionary path anyway, but some of the feedback we got from the previous two seasons were like, hey, the stories are great. Get more vulnerable. Yeah. Which tell, is, you know, stories. Which is like easy if you're an audience that, member. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. So, well, sure. We'll try. <laughs> try anything for that. Like, yeah. subscribe, <laughs> share with your friends. We'll do. We'll, yeah. We'll be very vulnerable. And then, you know. Well, mostly Chris. Yes. Mostly. If, well, if, I've got more material. I honestly, I've got more material to work with. We both know it. And I will just be like, oh, let's tell us more. Lean in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the good straight man uh, role that you have there. Wait, that's wait great. But the time thing is interesting because I, you know, what I was just mentioning, there's this 
evolutionary biology aspect to our current behavior. Right. But there is also this internal journey where, you know, I'm, I'm every moment I've lived up until this moment. I'm not just yeah. this moment. So speaking of cringing, cringeworthy things to think about when I think who I was or how I behaved or what I believed and how I treated people, you know, 30 years ago. Oh my gosh, Jake, I just want to die. It's awful. Yeah, there, it is interesting when we look back, we expect perfection from our past selves, right? And so this is the challenge of looking back. I think we have to deal with a little bit of grace and charity in that we wouldn't want that standard applied to right now. Present day self? Oh, I'm still learning. But mm. past self had to have it all figured out. I mean, this is the the panic around cancel as folks have to wrestle with the thing that they did 10, 12, 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Coming back. And maybe there are present day repercussions for past actions. Fine, fair, maybe, I guess. I'm still working through that. But what I don't think is fair is that um, we don't look at fully uh, that people can change, people can shift, um, that the context of who you were at that time matters a lot too. What else was happening? What else was going on? What else was well, going on in the, the world? Thing, yeah. Everything is set in a context that matters. Exactly. And if you dig into that and you dig into what's happening around you, you know, this other book that I've just started, Behave, he talks about- I, Sorry, you say behave and all I can hear is behave. the Austin- Behave. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. The Austin I Powers knew, voice. I knew that that's maybe that's, Ah, okay. Fine. Yeah. I'm ready to reset. Okay. Behave. He says, you made a decision in a moment. And that decision was based on cues that you were unaware of in the environment. You have no time to process. You made a decision. But why did you notice those cues in the environment? Because mm -hmm. you ate this and this and this just a little bit before. But this week you've been sleep deprived. Uh, de deprived? Deprived. <laughs> I am too. Sleep deprived. Apparently. Yeah. Which led you to eat certain things, which then led you to notice certain things, which you weren't even on conscious of when you made the decision. But then there is your parents and how you were raised and then the values that you've acquired without any sort of consideration from culture and society around you. And then you can go back to your ancestors who, you know, you got a certain set of DNA, certain gene code, but epigenetics has been switching off the triggers mm -hmm. here and there. And then there's what you've learned and how you've pieced together your whole. So in that moment, when you made that decision, why did you make that decision? It just depends on how far back you want to go. But that, that is a very complex answer. And yet we walk around all the time going, oh, you know, because it's the right one. Because, yeah, you know, it was this, it wasn't that, or whatever, maybe. You've touched on, I thinking back to like how passionate we get about agency and how yeah. I just do what I want. I'm going to be fiercely individual and just yeah. make my own decisions. And what yeah. you're suggesting, I think way back in the day, we'd call it individual soul liberty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but the, right? See, did I trigger yeah. you? Yeah. So, and triggering. I've triggered, triggered a few, activated. I think we say activated now, but anyway, whatever the language is around that feeling that when I say that, it's just a myth. You didn't really do it. it there is no individual only. Okay, so we're going to have to talk. Spot, right? Like, because I think. Because you just said the thing is free. Well, you, you, well, you, well, you 
kind of set the conditions for that statement. Well, I didn't. This guy who wrote this book, uh, Robert uh, Sapolsky, right. he, you know, right. he said it. Well, so we're not, well, yeah, right. we're not owning the intention of our words. That's fine. <laughs> fine. So you, you set it up and then you want to back oh, away. That's it's cool. going to be a tough season. It's going to be a tough yep. season. <laughs> All day long, buddy. What else are you reading? What else okay. is going on? So there's a, this other book. I wanted to uh, read you uh, this illustration that he gives. Uh, the book is pro-social, and there are three authors, Paul Atkins, David Wilson, and Stephen Hayes. I spoke with David Wilson over the phone. We're going to be having a few more conversations. Crazy smart individual. He's written a bunch of different books. He was just generous enough after the call to send me another one of his books, which I read in two days as well. So enough about that. But here's the illustration, okay? So I'm just going to give it to you cold, and then we can talk about it, all right? Yeah. Okay. He's talking about moving from cells within organisms to organisms within groups. His whole thing here is pro-social behavior. Where does it come from? Is it an evolutionary necessity? The needs of the one are more important than the needs of those around them, so on and so forth. But when we apply something that he talks about, multi-level selection to groups that, and the premise is, look, groups full of selfish people will never perform as well as groups full of cooperative people, right? Makes sense. But the individual who is not cooperative and is selfish will always do better than individuals who are givers, right? This is Adam Grant's work as mm -hmm. well. And the tragedy of the commons, which is an older concept that's been around for a while and it basically the premise is people will act in their best interests of themselves to act right? against your self-interest doesn't make a lot of sense does it right imagine that you're a chicken breeder who wants to increase the hen laying capacity of hens in commercial egg farms hens are raised in cages in small groups if you want to increase egg production should you allow the most productive hens to breed or all of the hens in the most productive cages, even if some hens in that cage not lay many eggs? So an animal breeder named William Muir uh, at Purdue University actually performed an experiment to answer this question, which led to a somewhat surprising outcome. Surprising, that is, if you don't understand multi-level selection. So he's been explaining that concept, and this is supposed to be illustrative of the point. So when only the most productive hens were selected to breed, egg productivity declined over the course of five generations, okay? Mm -hmm. So it took a little bit of time. Why? The most productive hens in each group achieved their productivity by bullying other hens, which is My a heritable kind of behavior. People. Yeah, <laughs> these little hens. <laughs> hey, I, don't, I have no idea how <laughs> eggs happen really well enough to, to even explain that. But a heritable mm -hmm. behavior in chickens is bullying of other hens. So. Okay. Okay. And five generations of selecting for it, because the two are tied together, mm -hmm. even if an inadvertently was sufficient to breed a strain of chicken psychopaths who plucked <laughs> out each other's feathers and murdered each other. Wow, that went dark. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely crashed. So they picked a group of people who were like the dream team egg producers and they kept them together and kept them together and kept them together. And the problem was the reason they were such a high performer previously is because they were bullies. And so they out they outperformed other members in the group. But when you put a group of them together, the group implodes. Wow. I can see where that's tracking. 
so when you're talking about it, I'm just thinking about like the seven deadly sins. And I'm thinking about how how hardwired we are to act in those same ways. Yeah. Because we chase the reward. We chase that it. We yes, chase that that's built in. That's it's hardwired in. in too, right? The reward. It's just a reward in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, exactly. Even the, even the kick from the food is the thing that happens in your mind. But it has world real world con, uh, impacts. Yes. And so what's happening internally is driving our connections to the other chickens around us. So one of the things that's interesting to me is why we make choices where and when we do. And this book does a really good job of explaining that from a, an evolutionary perspective, a biological perspective, some systems theory, identity theory perspective, kind of knitting those things together. Mm-hmm. But this chicken story it got me to thinking how it is interesting for the individual to be the dad who does something better for himself than his family sometimes. Right. And then the dad who will do things that are better for his family than other families. And then a group of families in a neighborhood who may band together at the expense of other neighborhoods. So there's always this next level, and this is what MLS stands for, multi-level uh, selection, is that there's always a level down that you would need to go in order to get the kind of sustained pro-social behavior you might want to see in any sort of given context. And at the top of the call, you said something about, yeah, we can approach these problems uh, systematically from the top and tell everybody at the top what they should be doing and it would trickle down. And then you said, but that's never what happens. It's the people on the ground making the decisions who are the most influential in culture shift or, or yeah. maintaining status quo, right? Right. They can sabotage you if it's not all the way through that through the through the layers or the levels, however you describe that. Yeah, for right. sure. Hey, Jake here. On the Disorienting Dilemma podcast, Chris and I are often going on and on about the work we do and the research and science that underpins it. If this is something that you enjoy, I recommend you check out the Beyond Research podcast. Recently, those folks invited me to be a guest on their episode about restorative justice, which you can find in our show notes. The Beyond Research podcast brings research to you. Tune in to hear from Canada-based researchers and community leaders as they discuss how important discoveries across disciplines are helping shape our lives. Subscribe to the Beyond Research podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you watch that show alone? Yeah, all the time. Premise being, correct me if I if if I get this wrong, but I I've been watching it. It's a base survivalist show. Uh, they take folks who possess the basic skills, so you can make a fire, you can hunt, you can fish. You have to demonstrate your yeah. comp- competency in those areas mm-hmm. so that you would be able to survive. And then they mm-hmm. take about ten or twelve people up to Alaska, some remote areas. It's of the usually world. Canada. Actually. Is it Canada? Yeah, they're okay. in northern Saskatchewan right now. Uh, maybe you have advanced seasons that I don't have, but they take them in some outback scenario, separate people. And what's fascinating to me is they spend the first couple episodes telling the origin stories of of the yeah. folks. They could just throw them in to the environment. Yeah, I fast forward they, through those a little bit. So. But I wonder if it's actually because it's about connecting it to who they are. Oh, so they, yeah, they talk, absolutely. Right? And then pulls in the viewer 
to see themselves in that story. So I, I'm watching that and that's, Oh, that guy, that guy works as a uh, security guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. can finally connect with him. Oh, that's cool. And the number of times those contestants say, I'm doing this for a better future for my family. I'm mm-hmm. going to deprive myself. I'm going to mm-hmm. go in the outback. I'm going to mm-hmm. trust my survival skills because I want to make it better for my family. So they mm-hmm. leave everything, they go off. And then at some point they fire a flare and no one else knows why they fired that flare. They just know, other contestants know that oh, one person's down, what a quitter, there they go. Right. And so for the listener, uh, these contestants are spread out over a fairly large space. Yeah. So they and they do not interact with each other or see each other ever. They just but see they, a flare go up. But they know when someone quit. They know when someone dropped out. And the right. viewer knows when someone quit and dropped out. We never see ourselves as that. But we'll come back to that. What I find interesting about that is the reason that people often quit is the same reason they said they were getting into it. Yes. I've been out here alone. I know money money isn't everything. I miss my family. I miss the people that I thought were the reason I came out here. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't live without that crew. I can't live. That is my tribe, my family, my, my, that is my in-group and I am alone and being alone is killing me. My yeah. lack of lack of connection to yeah. not just anyone. Yeah, there is that, but to the people that I care about. It's fascinating when you're talking about that. That's what was. Yeah, and so the the flare one is part of a show that's a little different because it's teams of people. Because uh, on alone, if you remember, they they oh, use the phone. The, the, the phones, yeah. yeah. I just want to say that in case somebody's listening, going, ah, oh, no, yeah, no yeah, that's right. But the alone one is interesting, and I hadn't ever thought of it because you're right. The why statement at the beginning for being there sounds very familiar, very similar to the why statement of the leaving. Yeah. Right? I, that, I There's a group I belong to. I'm doing this on behalf of them. I must return to them. But hardly, sometimes it's medical, I guess. Uh, that we a have few to times. That. Yeah. Um, a but, few times, but often it's the isolation. Yes. Or yeah. so uh, the monotony, the 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 self, the lack of human connection. Yeah, a couple it's times the medical. Difficult. Yeah, and 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 so some of the folks who are willing to push themselves actually tell a very different origin story. They're they're um, dream driven. I want to buy a piece of land. I mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. I have a dream. I'm going to. Um, suffer through this and try to get the uh, the reward at the end so I can build the dream, build the house. Build. Mm-hmm. But I don't find those folks typically, and that's not an always or never statement, but typically I don't find those folks are generally as connected to the people in the beginning of the story. That's they are very, they yeah. are very um, kind of loner type people, project driven, loner type project type. The, the fascinating thing about that book and the chicken story that I read is that we're so familiar with the human behavior around this, of not wanting to be alone, of being driven. Like when you put it into a show and make sort of an entertaining yeah. show out of it, none of us have to, we're like, okay, so what is this thing where they have to be with people? It, it is so familiar that we, it axiomatic, we don't even question it. Obviously, this is the premise. These are the universal truths. But we're so familiar with them that we don't 
ever see how they play out so glaringly if I were an alien, maybe looking at the way I act with my coworkers during the day. Mm-hmm. That the the alone mechanisms, levers, are driving my behavior at work and at home and walking down the street and what I do in private, what I do in secret. These these things are so powerful, so controlling of me, of who I am, that they get to that agency question. You begin to ask the question, you begin to wonder, wait, do, do I ever actually make a free choice? Right. Ever. Well, I don't know. What's the answer? I don't know. But it definitely <laughs> plays into because the complexity is it's my past self also yeah. driving me because I don't want to be like that. So I'm reacting to it or I haven't seen something yet. So I'm still playing in line with it. So it's not just the context and the environment it's, around me in the real world. It's this schemas you've inherited. It's the yeah. way you viewed the world. It's the yeah. construct that you have hung all of your experiences against up to this point. You can only yeah. hang them on the thing that you've seen. Yep. And then here we come along with a conversation about, so you should think about things different. You should invite other people who are not in your in-group in. And you're like, why would I do that? And every part of me is hardwired to not do that. Not just my brain, but everything yep. is to resist the thing that we are asking people to consider. Adopting the behavior that's developed in our ancestor sapiens over time is what has worked. It's like... It's the same as us going, you know what? I don't think I need two arms. So right. I'm just going to exactly. remove one. I just need one. It, that That is absurd. And it's about as absurd to think, you know what? I don't, I don't need to think exactly like my parents. Even though I would say, I don't think exactly like my parents. But then if you talk to me at a certain point in my life, I think I would sound a lot like them in many, many ways mm-hmm. that I wouldn't even mm, acknowledge myself, right? We rarely recognize those. But we see them in other people. Oh my gosh! Right, yes. so you're like, all the time. Oh my God, you're like your dad. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Your mom, and yeah, you're like, am I? Yeah, I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah exactly. So this internal journey for external change. Mm-hmm. When we think about um, living in a world uh, where things are equitable, where mm-hmm. there's more belonging, uh, as um, relations are just. Where there's 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 this way of seeing each other and the systems are just, not just interpersonally, but the world is calibrated toward justice. And we've been talking about that in terms of us in a world or us mm-hmm. with other people in a world. And this season, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on inside of us, like a, this biology, this genetics, epigenetics, all of the things that are driving behaviors or, or affecting us. And it, and it is very complicated. The answers are spread across dozens of disciplines and areas of research. Yeah. I went to a, um, a forensics presentation one time, and it was a investigator who was teaching folks basic, the, the basics, like, like the starting premise is every contact leaves a trace. So you just have to find the contact point. You'll then get more information about what that contact was like. You'll get more information about what was happening. So if you're going in looking not just what happened, but really going at the, what were the contact points? So if you think about when I'm sitting at this table, where do I put my hands? Where do I, then you can get a better sense of, you'll start to uncover a piece of information to sense make. 
uh, I think that's what we're probably going to be looking at, these contact points, the fingerprints. Yeah, this is an interesting behavior. Where does it come from? When I get angry, I have certain things that I do, even without thinking about them. But then you can follow up back and go, okay, where did that come from? And then when you can see it, I love the contact point idea. There's something that happened in the real world that left a, it could be a tire mark, it could be a fingerprint, it could be a scratch. There's something, every rub, every contact, it could be good. It could tell you a good story. The contact in and of itself is nothing other than a point. It's a data point. Right. Get enough data points, you'll tell the stories. And I think I'm going to see a little note written there, probably by the child self, what it meant at the time. And then there's a bit of trajectory with that. And, you know, I've been living with this hand scribbled notes of a five-year-old on a wall by a contact point that in and of itself may have meant nothing to somebody else. But to me, I was like, nope, here's what that means. And then for the rest of my life, that child has been dictating that experience to some degree. Some of my favorite thriller movies are that is the moment the police walk into the suspect's you know apartment that's dimly lit and there's these strings making all these connections. Oh yeah, there's the yeah, photos yeah. and yeah. the, and the, the big, notes and the, yes. the big board. Like in board. Homeland in the basement, it was all over it, the place. Yeah, yeah. And but but what it is 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 a reflection of what's happening in their brain. Yes. And what makes that moment so surreal is that an investigator is looking at the inner workings of how this person's brain works. Yeah. And oftentimes, rarely in any good movie, are they there in the room at the moment someone says, I now have a peek into how their brain works. Right. And then they're terrified and it it escalates that we must find this person. Yeah. They, they know something about what was happening. They yeah. find the person, they see the notes scattered, they see all the strings between the connection of the dots and go, oh my God. Yeah. I think we're going to do, we're going to connect the dots in your life. (laughs) (laughs) What? Connect the dots in your life for season three? Is that the, is that what we're going to do? No, we're going to do that to to you. You're you're the subject. I've been getting into internal systems family therapy that just put their little hands (laughs) over my ears and and earmuffs. Jacob's talk, earmuffs for Jacob. Yeah. And just for the listeners, by the way, when Jacob would come over, my kids were little, we would often earmuff for the kids, which is interesting. <laughs> I don't know what we were talking about where we had to do that because I had Tourette's. So they had heard every every conceivable word that you wouldn't say to a child already. I don't remember yeah. what that was about. But anyways. Yeah, no, fair enough. So Tourette's and how does that affect behavior and ways of being in the world? And so yeah, I think it's going to be complicated. I think we're going to look at a bunch of tools or ways of thinking about ourselves that may unlock, for me anyways, some opportunities to explore things that have remained hidden to me until now. The the Tourette's one is interesting to me, and we will maybe talk more about it, but when you have a tick and it comes out and there's this, seems like it surprises you too sometimes. Yes, sometimes and then yeah. sometimes it comes, maybe it's like holding in a sneeze, but, but it comes Most of the time it's like that, but sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. Like you, you would forget. That it's a but thing. but yes. then it comes out and then often I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like a truth bubble surfacing or is it, and then you usually come behind with a, I don't know why I said that. I don't mean that. I don't know where that's from. <laughs> I just, what the hell? Like, yes. there's this moment where you're like telling me, just ignore that. Yes. Lost over that data point. <laughs> that that data point means nothing yes. in terms of our interaction right now. I am not angry. 
I know that was an angry word. That's right. I have no idea. That's right. But do not interpret this piece of information as angry. It's and then we just keep moving. Yes. Without context, right? Yes. So it is helpful to think about that. So we'll do lots of that maybe this season. I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. Because as we think about how we want to be in the world, this is the hard work. This is why it's easier to take the shorter cuts and get those DEI boxes checked off, all of which have a place. But I'm just saying this is this is the part that's the toughest. All right. Well, let's do that. More in season three. So uh, we've got some new cool features in season three, too. Uh, there's a option called SpeakPipe where folks can, like last season, we had guests. Well, may, maybe there's more accessibility for people just to leave a 60 to 90 second thought bubble, audio note, whatever. We'll listen to it. If it's something that we can use in the show, you may give us permission to do that. So we'll throw that in and we'll yeah. respond to it. That would be really cool to hear from folks. Uh, we have had some feedback. Some folks write to us um, about who they think our audience is and what they're getting out of it. And this season two is out on YouTube again. Um, and with season one, if some folks are sort of late to it, joining in and now they're going back, finding previous episodes and there's some cringe moments that if you could get yeah. them back, it's like, <laughs> and they are getting like retro feedback, which is also cool. There are speak pipe moments there. So we may just pull some of those through. So we're hoping folks find that. So you're still against the idea of going back and just removing anything that makes us look bad? Until we can do that in real life. Yep. <gasps> oh, that's a, one that happens, that's a good one. That's a good one. Until that happens, <laughs> uh, we should. Yeah. I mean, there's a, this moment of, well, we said it. We put it out there. Yeah. We've no, always I think that, tried to be a that's bit That's the honest. whole point, right? It's process. I actually hope that we are pushing back against things as we continue to learn. Yeah. It would not surprise me to listen to a season one episode and go, that's awkward. That's true. That's true. All right. It's going to be a good season. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. All right. See you next time. See you.